Today on the Orthodox Ethos Podcast, we begin our course on the book, The Truth of Our Faith, by Elder Cleopa of Romania, published by Uncut Mountain Press. In Lesson 1, we will introduce the book and discuss the Elder's teaching on the Church. Welcome everybody to our fall courses. It's good to have you with us. Let's see our prayer. This is going to be, we're going to be saying the prayer uh, from before the gospel in the Divine Liturgy and chanting the Troparion for the Feast of Pentecost, which is customary, at least here in Greece, before every lecture. So we'll start with that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who lovest mankind with the pure light of the divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our minds to the understanding of the gospel teachings. And class also fear of thy blessed commandments. And trample down all kind of desires. We may enter a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doest as things will please them to thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, and of thee we send up glory with the fall, unoriginated Father, and O Holy Good and Life, creating Spirit, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. All right. So that was, of course, in Greek, because that's what we know. We chant here in Greece. You're coming, we're coming from Petrokerasa outside of Thessaloniki, one hour in the mountains on the way to Mount Athos. And today we're going to be doing an introduction to the course on the church. Uh, general description real quick for those of you who didn't read it online. Uh, very thoroughly. This is a lecture series aim, aiming to provide an introduction to major points uh, of the Orthodox faith, which are both foundational and challenged by heterodox critics. The subjects covered will be the same and in the same order as laid out in the course text, and that is the truth of our faith. You can see there in the little corner here, I've got the title, you can see that, the uh, Book published by our press, The Truth of Our Faith by Elder Cleopa. First of all, I want to talk about what the meaning of catechism really means, you know, what it's all about in the Orthodox context, because not only do we not even have basic catechism, that you're learning about Christ in many places. I remember when I was brought into the church, although it was very good, well-meaning people, right? I don't, I'm not criticizing any particular person, God forbid, and uh, I was grateful for what they gave, but... The reality is that for many people, catechism means nothing more than reading a few books about the faith. So somebody, somebody will give you uh, the Orthodox Church, the Orthodox Way, which um, I've learned over the years, there's issues with those books. They're, they're by and large good, uh, but there's, there are issues. And of course, every book's not perfect. And unfortunately, those, those books have been changed since their publication in the 60s and 70s. But in any case, those books uh, uh, and other books are given. You know, you might read, I don't know, The Way of the Pilgrim, or you, there's other, a lot of other books that have come out in the last 20 years since I've been in Greece. But that's not, that's not catechism. That's not the church's catechism. We don't learn about Christ. I mean, that's a small part of it, small part of it. So what's it about? Well, it's about purifying yourself, preparing yourself uh, for baptism. And so that's not an intellectual affair only, right? So there is, the, there is the aspect that you purify your intellect from heretical thoughts and ideas about 
God. Okay, obviously that's a part of the catechetical process and it's an important part. That's a part of the purification process. So we're not thinking uh, things that are unorthodox that are, um, that are not acceptable. Gigi says she can't hear. Has anybody else got that problem? That might be a problem for Gigi. I, I'm looking, I've tested it out and, and we, are, we are good to go. So I don't, have, I don't see any problem with my audio. Anybody else having problems? Okay, Margaret, thank you. John, no problems. Okay. Um, so maybe you need to reload GG or something, right? Sounds good to me. Okay, good. Uh, so catechism, catechism is about purification from the old man, the old way of life. It's about uh, being slowly initiated into the mystery of Christ. Uh, it's about exorcisms, right? In the ancient church, the exorcisms weren't just read once at the time of the baptism, but they could be read many times over a long period of time. You remember in the ancient church, people were catechized uh, for three years, for three years. And they were brought, they had a, court, a, cat, a catechist and a, uh, the godfather or the sponsor uh, were uh, responsible to the bishop or to the priest. And their job was to make sure that the, the person was uh, putting away their old way of life, their pagan way of life. Uh, they weren't going back to the, to the vomit, uh, you know, and they were, they were moving on. Uh, they were developing Christian habits, very, very important, right? So they were, the, the, the pathway uh, the, the, um, you know, that, that brought the, 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 the grace, of, that brings the grace of God to our heart was cleared of all the obstacles uh, which, uh, which were accumulated during their pagan way of life. Uh, and and that, a big part of that is developing Christian habits, ways of living and, uh, and thinking, but also living. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, it's much more than just learning about Christ. It's a, it's a process of purification uh, on many levels of the whole man. Uh, so... Uh, that's the first thing we need to we need to realize is that uh, whether uh, whatever our catechism is and looks like, um, and whatever it ends up being, because for catechumens or inquirers, that's not necessarily something they can always control, right? Um, but we can do our best to make it make sure that we're thoroughly prepared, and of course that would include not rushing, not rushing into baptism. Take our time, do it right, uh, lay that foundation. It is my experience, and what I can tell from that I've seen on Mount Athos and other places where I've seen uh, people prepared and uh, catechized and baptized. Uh, people who've come to Athos, for instance, uh, totally, totally uh, foreign to Orthodoxy, spent uh, a year or more uh, in preparation to becoming a monk, and then uh, during that whole process, they were catechized and baptized. Uh, what I, what my experience is that the more purification and preparation that goes into your catechumenate, the more the actual event and subsequent life uh, in the beginning in the church will be filled with grace, which will not only be felt but will be manifest. Uh, and we see miracles, we see um, things happening uh, to the person. The person himself who's been baptized coming out of the baptismal font radiant and people people seeing this 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 amazing uh, radiance coming from the person that's been baptized um, and uh, of course to see all that and experience that one has to be purified themselves is a mystery of the grace of God but we can read we can read for instance from the mission field uh, the experience of baptism for those the young people in the mission in the Congo, uh, in, a, in a book that we published uh, years ago, uh, The Apostle to Zaire, The Life and Legacy, uh, The Life and Legacy of Father Cosmas of Gregorio. And if you read in there the baptismal testimonies at the end of the book, uh, it's just phenomenal that the, 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 uh, the young children uh, and their experiences 
from the baptismal font and immediately in their life, uh, the grace of God, which is so immensely felt. So I think that, first of all, we have to realize what this is all about. It's not just, it's not sufficient to learn about Christ. This is not a, an intellectual event only. This is not a college level, uh, you know, uh, 101 uh, uh, introductory course uh, that we that we we kind of take and and consider, uh, but it's a process. It's a process of purification. It's a uh, that affects the whole man, and uh, this is what needs to happen uh, when we're entering the church. Um, and uh, so that's that's the first thing. Secondly, what what does it mean to convert to orthodoxy? Uh, there was a famous book written. Um, becoming Orthodox. And, uh, and you know, it's understandable the pro- it was about the process of them coming to the Orthodox Church. But does becoming Orthodox mainly pertain to uh, when the process that leads up to the door of the Church, or does it actually pertain more to the catechumenate, the process of purification, and then actually entering in to the life of the church. And what's the heart of this whole conversion uh, process? Well, it means, first of all, coming, many people use this term, coming home to, someone's coming home, they feel at home. They enter the church and say, this is where I've been searching. I've been through all these different, perhaps, denominations or even religions. And now I feel like I'm in the house of my father. And this, this kind of spiritual event that happens to people, I think, is extre- extremely indicative. And we see this, for instance, in the life of Father Seraphim Rose. Uh, I think I have a photo here that uh, just not that important, but I thought I'll, I'll bring it up on the screen. You can see it there. That's the, ch- that's the church in which he converted. Everybody see that? Uh, that's the old, old cathedral in uh, San Francisco. They since built St. John. In St. John's time, they built the new cathedral. If you've been to San Francisco, and uh, for you Americans, you've been to the great new cathedral that St. John built, which is absolutely beautiful. But this is the old old cathedral. And this is where Father Seraphim first went to an Orthodox church. He, he stood here in this church and observed this divine worship uh, uh, in uh, Slavonic. He didn't understand a word. Uh, the bishop was, I think, on the right, on the kleros, uh, and he had this experience. And he says uh, in the in the life of Father Seraphim, uh, <clears throat> he says, uh, for many years uh, in my studies, I was satisfied with being above all traditions, but somehow faithful to them. When I visited an Orthodox church, it was only in order to view another tradition knowing that Genon, you know, the famous founder, essentially, of the school of perennialism, uh, which not a few Orthodox people who've on their path to Orthodoxy have passed through that. Uh, Some of them, unfortunately, have never passed out of it, which is unfortunate because they are in delusion. Uh, But Father Seraphim, thanks be to God, passed out of it as well, not just through it, and um, had... Uh, he says that knowing that Genon had described Orthodoxy as being the most authentic of the Christian traditions. However, when I entered an Orthodox church for the first time, something happened to me that I had not experienced in any Buddhist or Eastern temple. Something in my heart said that this was home. This was home, that all my search was over. I didn't really know what this meant because the service was quite strange to me and in a foreign language. I began to attend Orthodox services more frequently, gradually learning its language and customs, but still keeping all my basic Genonian ideas about all the authentic spiritual traditions. Well, eventually he goes on to talk about how he, he understood eventually that truth was a person and that he had encountered essentially on that day the person of Christ, the spirit of Christ, and the process of knowing his creator as a person. Uh, so this experience of coming home, this experience of, of encountering God in the church is, is, is very important. Uh, and it is important to note that um, the work of the church is not to uh, 
uh, you know, create wonderful, uh, amazing missionary pro five-year programs and amazing, uh, you know, catechetical pro programs that, that, that wow you or something. It's this, this focus on, or, or even more importantly and worse is dumbing down or, or making more, uh, appealing to non-orthodox or to worldly orthodox the church the services cutting them down you know our job is to get people in the door this kind of approach is extremely destructive uh, what's necessary is faithfulness on the part of the orthodox because it's god who works in the hearts of every father seraphim rose every person who comes by the door of the church it's god who's chasing every one of us Who's, who's, who's seeking our salvation. It's God uh, who has, um, who does uh, the great miracle of conversion in our heart. And so it's greatly delusional when it becomes, when it becomes humanistic. Uh, Orthodox people don't realize that they're simply the hands and the, and the, and the mouths and the, uh, uh, of the grace of God. They're simply, they're simply being faithful. I remember when I first attended an Orthodox church, it was, Actually, I think I have a picture of that as well. Uh, this is uh, the Orthodox Church I first attended almost 30 years ago uh, in a little church in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And as you can see, it's it's a it's a it's a nice church. It's a it's a small church. It's uh, it's got some you know. I think this is a couple years ago, and probably they probably finished the iconography by now, but. Back when I was there, I think it was even less iconography at the time. Anyway, the, the point I, I want to make here is that when you, you enter the Orthodox Church, what's important is faithfulness. I remember it was a Vespers service, and I entered in, and there was just, I think, one chant or an old lady and the priest, and they were doing Vespers. And now, as, you know, obviously 30 years in the Orthodox Church, this experience would be very common and maybe uneventful in many ways, right? But for me, it was it was extremely eventful because I immediately understood that even in this humble uh, church, beautiful but humble, simple, small, comparison to other cathedrals, etc., uh, I understood that that something otherworldly was going on, that this was not of this world, and it was very different than anything I'd experienced among the uh, papal Protestants or the Reformed Protestants. <clears throat> it was a totally different experience. It was an experience of the heart. I knew that there was something otherworldly here, and I felt that, and I felt that I entered into something otherworldly, and then when I left the church, I stood in amazement, feeling like I had just left that reality. So there was an, it, was a, it was an amazing experience, and that's all I think ultimately I needed. I, mean, I read myself into the orthodoxy through other books. Uh, ironically, the first book I read was Orthodoxy and Religion, The Future by Father Seraphim Rose. Yeah, there you go. And it was a great read. Um, and, um, but that was the intellectual part. The spiritual initiation had already begun. So God is the one who's, who's working and bringing us in. I mean, they didn't do anything that day except be faithful. They didn't even know that I probably came and left and was, my life was changed. Uh, they were chanting. They were doing their services. This is what's missing. Simple, devout faithfulness on the part of so many uh, Orthodox, we're trying uh, many places. You won't even be able to find Vespers in the Greek Archdiocese. This is, and, but they're very busy doing many other things. This is a mistake. This is an error on the part of us Orthodox. We don't need to do all those things. We need to be faithful and prayerful, and, and then everything else falls into place. So coming home, like we say, I came home to Orthodoxy, it really means coming to Christ. And this is another very important point to make is that the church, we're going to talk about the church tonight, it is Christ. Like when we come and we say, I come home to orthodoxy, it's not that this is the best version of Christianity. It's not that I just have the fullness in terms of quantity. You know, many people say, I've found the fullness of orthodoxy or of Christianity and orthodoxy. No, I don't think that's correct. If you mean by something quantitative, right? Oh, all of the T's are, are crossed and the I's are dotted in orthodoxy or something like this. I mean, we're looking at it kind of rationalistically and we say, well, they have all the right doctrine. They have a, that's true, of course, but that's not, it's not, a, it's not a, 
a quantitative question. Like I had 90% of Christianity when I was a Baptist or a papist. Now I have 100%. No, there's only 100%. Everything else is not Christ because Christ is never uh, lacking in anything. We can't say that I was in Christ and I was with Christ and I was uh, living the life in Christ, which is the life of the church, in a confession which is not the body of Christ, which is not the whole Christ, right? So the Christ, Christ and the church are one. In the West, this has been separated. They've separated that because of the peculiar history of the West, because of the, 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 the disintegration, uh, there's, so many, there's so many thousands of denominations. It's impossible intellectually for them to accept that one body is still the body, right? And so they have to separate Christ from the church. But it's impossible to separate Christ from the church. He is the church. And many saints say this. Uh, and, and it's not something unique to the 20th century. Uh, so the, the church and Christ are one. And the unity of Christ demands the unity of the mysteries. What does that mean? Well, that means that, um, that the unity of the mysteries flows from the unity of Christ, the unity of the church. They're, they're, they're all together. There are no mysteries outside of the mystery of Christ because Christ is given and gives in every mystery. Christ is given and gives himself in every divine mystery. So wherever there is truly a mystery, a, an initiation into the life of God, that's what the mysteries do. They initiate us into the life of God and we become communicants. Com we're in communion with God himself all uh, in the Holy Trinity. Wherever that is happening, Christ himself is giving and given in the mysteries. So there is the full Christ, the body of Christ, and that is inseparable from the truth of Christ and the spirit of Christ, right? So all these things are one. They, they demand unity. And any orthodox dogmatic text or any orthodox catechetical text that says anything different is not orthodox. And anybody who comes and says that, well, you have, uh, you, you know, talks about having a life in Christ outside of the Orthodox Church, that can only be understood in the following way. Uh, it's not properly understood as a life in Christ, but we can understand it in the following way. That the Holy Spirit, which works throughout all of creation, is present in all of creation, is a sustainer, is, a, is the creator and sustainer of all of creation, uh, is the, uh, and through the presence of the Holy Spirit, the providence of God for each one of us, both our physical and our spiritual uh, uh, existence, uh, is, is, is carried out. So the, there's no doubt that the Holy Spirit exists in all of creation. But what the Holy Spirit is doing, in other words, the energies, the operations of the Holy Spirit in all of creation are not what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church because there are presuppositions that have to be met on our part for the grace of God that's given in the mysteries, namely the grace and the energies of purification, illumination, and deification. Purification, illumination, and deification. These are the three stages of the spiritual life. For those to be entered into and experienced, there are presuppositions. And that the main presupposition is the... Uh, process of initiation, which includes all three mysteries, baptism, chrismation, and the Eucharist, which is the fulfillment of a catechetical period of purification. So that purification, that preparation is essential if we're going to enter into the mysteries and become a part of the, of the body of Christ. And when we do, that's when we enter into these divine energies, this, this divine presence of, uh, of God, uh, and that's different than the actions, the energies, the operations of the Holy Spirit in all of creation among all people. Uh, so while God is, is, as it says in the scriptures and in the Psalms, chasing us all the days of our life, he's, he's, he's pursuing us. Uh, and there's no question that the Holy Spirit is present among those in that way, among the heterodox, among the religions of the world, because he wants the salvation of everyone. 
that is not yet salvation. That is not yet life in Christ. That is not initiation into the mystery of the incarnation. So uh, this is important to understand because there are not a few of us uh, who are converts, who are, uh, are, are thinking about our life in Christ in a mistaken way. And this hinders us. We're also, many converts are looking at the life of the church, the Orthodox Church, through their heterodox lens. I encountered that in an article by a pretty well-known writer a few, uh, about two months ago, I think it was, a month and a half ago, he wrote an article which was very unfortunate. He's a convert himself. And he was taking heterodox, very egregious heterodox errors, and just taking that and applying it to Orthodox Christians, the Orthodox Church, the Orthodox way of doing things, and comparing them as if they're comparable, and trying to teach the Orthodox with examples of the heterodox. And what that reveals is that either we don't, he didn't understand that this is night and day, this is, there's a chasm between the two, and that therefore we cannot view, understand the Orthodox way of life uh, with those kind of criteria and that kind of experience. Otherwise, I don't know, I, it, it's, uh, there's something missing here. And we're looking at the church as, some, as a continuum with heterodoxy. There is no, there's no uh, continuity between the two. One cannot talk about a life in Christ as, as, as somehow starting here and ending in orthodoxy. What we can talk about, because the life in Christ, as we said, is in the church, right? And the minute you say that, the, that, that you have a life in Christ among the heterodox, a life in Christ, right? Not a life, uh, not a love of Christ. Of course you can have a love of Christ. Not a following after Christ. You can follow after Christ and not be in the church, but a life in Christ, which means the mysteries, which means the divine mysteries and the initiation into the mystery of the incarnation. So let's make sure we understand. This is why we're going to be doing a lot of this defining of terms in this catechetical process, because very important to understand when we use the words what we mean, right? People can be, misunderstand what I'm saying uh, as if I'm just saying it's all darkness. This is, this is usually how it's presented by those who are trying to create this idea of uh, some kind of continuity, some kind of connection, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, there's a common life in Christ. They want to say, well, if you don't believe that, then it's either all darkness and the Pope is, as a famous expression, I think it was Bogakov or somebody, well, the Pope is just a shaman or just a magician or something, or he's, you know, he's either that or, he, or he's a Pope. That's, that's a, that's a, uh, an error in judgment. Uh, there can be many goodwilled and even in some ways, humanly speaking, more zealous, more uh, uh, pious. Uh, yeah. More zealous and more pious people outside the church. Uh, and uh, they... And yet they still are still outside the church, right? So many times there are Orthodox people who are initiated, but who have essentially put off uh, the, uh, the life in Christ. And then we take and we compare them with those who are among the heterodox, who are zealous and who are trying to live the life and are ready to go to jail for Christ and who are, you know, zealous in many ways and ethical issues and given a witness of Christ in the society and all the rest. That's an error as well. Uh, that's, that's, that's a misunderstanding of what's going on in each case. I mean, one case is they've, they've been initiated, but they've turned their back on it. Another case is they've not been initiated, but what they have and what they understand, they're zealously guarding and, 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 and working on. And so you can have that outside the church. You can have someone who's uh, you know, who is, we read about in the Acts of the Apostles, they had yet to be baptized, and yet they were zealous, and they were falling after Christ, and they hadn't even heard of the baptism of our Lord. They'd only heard of the, the baptism of the of the forerunner. So um, there is uh, a vast difference between the two, and I think it's important for all of us to put aside these these ideas. Uh, 
and and make sure we acquire the mind of Christ on the boundaries of the church, the nature of the church, the nature of the life in Christ. So let's move on. Another aspect of what it means to convert to orthodoxy, we've kind of touched on this already, and that is as a revelation of God to the human heart. Anybody, have you all read this little booklet that Father Seraphim Rose has, or actually the St. Herman Brotherhood has published from Father Seraphim? It's called A Revelation of God to the Human Heart. Has everybody read that? <clears throat> because I highly recommend it. It's a little book, but it's very instructive. It is very important for all of us, if we're converts, we're catechumens, uh, we understand that. It's a little book put out by St. Herman Brotherhood. Yeah, you should read that, Susan, and everybody else who's not. It's a really nice, important little book. And, and there the point is made that, uh, that this mystery of the human being with the grace of God and how important it is for them to come into that relationship and that communion, uh, how far that is from a legalistic, uh, superficial uh, uh, approach to life in Christ, how far it is from religion. Uh, you know, people talk about orthodoxy as a religion. I was just, my son was, is in a course now at the theological school here in Thessaloniki, and it's a course, I think it's called Sociology of Religion or something. And, you know, they presented orthodoxy along with all the religions. And so he asked, he says, well, how are we presenting orthodoxy as one of the religions? How is it possible? Uh, because our Lord said himself, uh, no one has ascended into heaven. Right? So religion is ascending. Religion is essentially the ascent of man to God. But we don't, in orthodoxy, we don't have religion in that sense. So we have revelation. God reveals himself. And if he doesn't reveal himself, then we don't have communion with God. It's that simple. Uh, the religions of the world are ascending. Our God descended. Right? This kenosis, this emptying, this humility, this, 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 the crucifixion of our Lord and the resurrection, this is what sets it apart, makes it, uh, you know, shows it to be, reveals it to be so true and so uh, totally other than anything else that's going on in the world. So this revelation uh, to God and the human heart, this is a revelation to all of humanity in the work and the economy of salvation of our Lord, but it's also a revelation to each one of us. Each one of us, whether we've been baptized as a child or baptized as an adult, have to pass through and encounter in our hearts our Lord, our God, our Savior, the kingdom of God. That's essential. So this is a part of what it means to becoming and converting to the Orthodox Church, the Orthodox faith. And it's, the, it's this, the presence of God, right, which is what makes all the difference. Uh, and, and the person who has the good uneasiness uh, I think you've, if you've heard my lectures, you've heard me talk about this before. It's very important. This is from Elder Paisius, St. Paisius of the Holy Mountain. He talks about this everywhere he goes in many ways. Uh, everywhere he, he spoke many times he says this. And this is that where there is the good uneasiness the, among the heterodox or among the orthodox who grew up in the faith. It doesn't matter. Both are, have to pass through this process. If you don't have that, the disposition, right? It's what you see in scriptures as the presupposition for the for the healing and the and the salvation of, of, of everyone there, right? What do you see? You see that that stance of of knowing that you are lost without Christ, knowing that you are uh, uh, fallen away from the life in God, that you are in need of a savior. You have that, and you're searching, and you realize you're missing that life in Christ. That good uneasiness, which all the heterodox have to have in order to reach the door of the Orthodox Church and to enter in. And all of the Orthodox who are, who are worldly or who have never been catechized or don't understand, there has to be this in their soul. This is what we bring to God. Uh, this, this desire, this, this pothos, uh, we say in Greek, this uh, you know, great uh, longing for God. And when that exists, then the presence of God, we're opened up to the presence of God. You know, there are you could be in the same church, same divine services, same, you know, 50 square meters. Uh, and there could be one person who is open up to the grace of God and in the presence of God and another person who is totally closed. And yet they're in the presence of God. They're in the temple where the spirit of God dwells. And yet they are essentially non-communicants, right? So this is the mystery 
of the revelation to the human heart, which is seeking after him. This is this is a big part of what, what it means to, to convert to the faith that has to happen. <coughs> All right, let's move on to our, our main text <coughs> by the great contemporary elder. Uh, a little history on the book, and I think it's important that we why this book is important. Uh, it's a personal history, but it also reveals something about the book and why it's important th that we read this book. And uh, I, this book was um, translated into Greek at some point in the 1990s by the great missionary and higher monk from Gregorio Monastery, Father Damaskinos, Father Damascene, who's now in Tanzania as a missionary. Uh, he, uh, <clears throat> he translated, he actually spent time in Romania, met the elder. He's, a, he's a, an amazing man. He knows many languages. He translated many things from Romanian, many things into, he learned uh, uh, Albanian, translated many things into Albanian. Now he's translating many things into Swahili. Uh, he's 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 unknown to many people, but he's he's a, he's a, an amazing missionary of the Orthodox Church, Father Damascene. Well, I had I had seen this book in one of the churches here. I don't know why, but I just had this great desire to translate it, and and I and I began the translation with the blessing of my elder, and then I found the translator, and and I and this book, um, uh, you know, eventually was published. But why why was this why was this book important to translate? Well, you have something very unique here that you don't have in many of our books that are presenting orthodoxy in in English, and that is you have a great great contemporary elder from uh, the old world, the old Romania who's carrying with him this holy tradition, this ascetic life. Uh, if you have not read his life, I highly recommend it. It exists in English. I think it's published by a monastery, uh, the, the Remission maybe. I'm not sure the name of the monastery in Colorado. Uh, there's also a shorter uh, a book by St. Herman Alaska Monastery on his life and teachings. So you have this great elder, and you have essentially Protestant inquirers they were orthodox who had been infected infected affected by protestant missionaries there were many going to romania uh not a few have became orthodox uh I've, actually i was corresponding with one just recently who had written me he had gone as a protestant missionary to romania returned to america as an orthodox christian eventually became a priest uh but shepherd of shoals souls yeah thank you pano and so uh, this is unique because you have this great elder and he's encountering and answering the questions essentially of Protestants because the, the people, Orthodox, who had been affected are bringing all their doubts to the elder and all the questions that had been implanted in them, all the doubts that had been implanted in them by the Protestant missionaries. And so you have this encounter of essentially the, the, the heart of Orthodox tradition by a great elder and, and Protestantism. I don't think really we have that in any other contemporary text. Uh, we have many, many people who uh, became Orthodox from Protestantism and then wrote about their experience, but we don't have a great elder who's, who's essentially encountering and answering the questions of Protestants. And so many of, 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 of his answers, of course, what's so great about this book is that the answers are uh, in thousands, thousands of scriptural references. Uh, his, he had a photographic memory, he read Night and day, up in uh, when he was a uh, young monk, he spent hours upon hours just sitting in the fields as a shepherd, uh, reading the lives of the saints, the patristic texts, the scriptures, and so he, has, he had a photographic memory, and he spoke with uh, with such authority because it was essentially just presenting, uh, together with his experience, he was presenting the, the holy fathers and the scriptures, uh, and so this book is is very unique, and so so. The, that that um, uh, that book, which was translated into Greek and now it's been translated into English, has uh, has helped so many people get over and through many of the misunderstandings uh, that exist uh, in the Western world about Orthodoxy. So that's why we're choosing this book, uh, and it's, uh, it's because it's a great authority, a great contemporary elder. I'm going to play a little clip. I want. To write me immediately if you cannot uh, see the, you don't have to hear, but to see the text because he's talking in Romanian. But I want you to get a sense of this elder, right? I don't know if you've seen videos online by by him. I want to get, get have you get a sense of this elder uh, and his authority. I mean, imagine now sitting at his feet, 
and listening to him as the Romanian people had the, the opportunity back in the 90s, 80s and 90s to, to, to listen to him. So let's listen just a little bit and also uh, read the text be, uh, below. He's talking about the fear of God. And I want to note that when he says the fear of death, if you pay attention, he, although the text says fear, initially he talks about the remembrance of death. And that's the proper term in English. We don't fear death as a Christian, right? That's exactly what the Lord came to undo. Uh, all the time, mankind was in fear of death and fear uh, uh, of, of the unknown. Well, we don't have that fear as Orthodox Christians, but we do remember death, memory of death. And so what he's really talking about is memory of death, although it's translated as fear of death. And even if you use the term fear, what it really means is remembrance. Uh, and that is essential. That is essential together with the fear of God. So let's listen to the, the great elder. Cea mai mare înțelepciune care păzăște pe om de tot păcatul și îl duce la fericirea vernică este pururea să vezi moartea înaintea ta. Moartea, 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 Și să ai în minte și în inimă pe Doamne Iisus. De cuciți de Sfântul Vasele. Scriptura spune să mergi drept înaintea Domnului, să nu te abani nici la stânga ca să poți merge drept. Trebuie două ziduri. Dar nu de cărămidă, nu de piatră, nu de cement, nu de fer, nu de lemne. Două ziduri duhovnicești. Să ai în dreapta frica lui Dumnezeu și în stânga frica mortă. Că Scriptura spune cu frica lui Dumnezeu să abate tot omul de la rând. Cine are frica lui Dumnezeu în dreapta și frica moartă în stânga, merge drept înaintea Domnului. Noi dormim în păcate tot timpul. Cred că dormim și... Că dacă n-am dormit în păcate, am plânge de toate de am plânge. Păcatele noastre. Ai văzut să întoarce niciun mare. O plâns o de ani în pustie. Eu că duceneri la ochea tău plâns. Și-o lătărit în palat, la Roma a fost cu împăratul. Și-am puțin o plecată, puțin ea ca nu. Așa era sfin, care plânge păcate, că toată clipa greșim lui Dumnezeu. Mânca vă rai, o să vă mănânci. A venit la un potrigai din moșneac? See that expression right there? I know you can't hear very well, it doesn't matter. I don't think most of you know Romanian anyway. But what you can, hopefully you can see the text, you can read the text, right? Uh, so you have this look look at the forcefulness of the, the power of the of the elder and how he speaks first of all secondly um, this famous expression that he said continually and I think it's better translated as may paradise consume you I think that's the translation that I've I've read may heaven consume you um, <clears throat> and then he closes with uh, characteristic words you've come to an old rotten man right So this is the humility of the great elder that he's teaching at the same time he realizes that it's nothing but God, everything is of God. I wanted to play that for you so that when we're reading this text, we're not reading it as a text as a fruit of some kind of intellectual affair, right? This is not some kind of intellectual text. This is not some kind of uh, uh, um, uh, academic theology. This is the fruit of countless hours. Yes, he was praying. He prays continually. in the desert uh, mountains of uh, I mean, the, the, the trees in the, the mountains of uh, Romania uh, with the prayer rope uh, read the life of the elder see what it means to become an authority to teach, see what it means to become a, a purified, illumined Orthodox Christian that along with the elder's words, because if we come to him as a disciple, if we come to this text as one who's a pauper Right? We're poor, we're impoverished, we're, we're, we're Christians of the end times, we're the Ogdoitis, right? That's the Greek term for the Christians of the eighth century, right? The final century. That's what contemporary, uh, uh, that's how they characterize the Christians of the end times, the Ogdoitis, the Christians of the eighth century. We come as that, seeking uh, salvation from a purified human being. 
then we, uh, then we will have benefit. But if we come and we're going to be not seeking clarification, but investigating. I don't know if you read my text I put online just a few days ago, which we also distributed in the summer course. The dialogue that is blessed is a dialogue of clarification. When the, the apostles come to our Lord, not investigating and debating with our Lord. That's what the Pharisees did. But coming simply for clarification, to understand better the truth that he spoke. If that's how we come to the elder, that's how we come to this text, we're going to walk away. We have to realize we're encountering, uh, through the words of the elder, our Lord's truth. And we're coming to him. There's, there's nothing different than to, the Lord gives everything he gave when he walked on this earth to every Christian. There's no difference. In fact, we're closer. We have more of an opening than even those who walked near him because we have access to the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access to the Eucharist. And so, uh, you know, we, we have to realize that in our whole life, in all of our day, the grace of God, the providence of God, God himself is working for our salvation. He's encountering us. He's teaching us through our life, through our experiences, and through the saints. And so it's really important our stance, right? What stance we're going to have when we're coming to learn as a catechumen, as an inquirer, as an older person coming back to the faith, trying to go deeper. Our stance is, 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 is more than half of, what, of what's going to go into the, to the, to the result, right? And our zeal, our humility, and our desire. So you are at the door there of his keli up in the mountains in Sihastria in, in Moldavia, right? You're there. That's how you should read the book. When you get the book in your hand, put an image of, this, of the elder before you. Ask for his blessing. Kiss his hand and, and, and ask for his intercession that God would illumine you to understand the mysteries of the gospel and, and stand there in, 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 as a disciple, as, as a poor 8th century disciple of Christ, and never uh, standing with haughtiness as if uh, we're going to, we know, you know, we've arrived and we know. Uh, too many of, uh, of us have learned from academic theology, academic theologians, and we look at things just as a, uh, just from that intellectual, uh, rationalistic approach and the grace of God does not fill our hearts because we're not coming uh, to encounter Christ himself uh, as a disciple. So I think it's very, very important. Hopefully this clip helped a little bit. Uh, you can find more online uh, to get a better sense of who's teaching us uh, and who's going to be guiding us. All right. Uh, a brief look now at Elder Cleopa. I've got in front of you, uh, we've already reached the one hour. I'm supposed to be strict with myself. Uh, I'll go another 10 minutes because we are introductory course, uh, and then we'll get into the questions. Now we're up to 18 questions, so we're going to have to just go with the, the top 10 probably. Uh, if you've not voted in the poll, go do that. Go find out which question you want to hear answered and vote them up, and I'll try to get those answered. Let's see if we can do that. All right, just real quick. Uh, this is from the introduction by Elder Joseph of Xitopotam. He wrote the introduction to this book. Uh, you can uh, apparently find this still in circulation, but, uh, but I've sent it to you as well through Patreon. Uh, the, uh, the introduction is very good because what it does, it places the elder in the great tradition of monastic teachers. There are great, great monastic teachers in the history of the church, and, and the elder Joseph places the elder Cleopa in that whole line. And here we have, uh, you can see it on screen here, uh, some of the great monastic teachers of the church, St. Isidore of Pelusium, St. Nihilus the Ascetic, St. John Damascene, St. Theodore the Studite, St. Nicodemus the Athenite, St. Paisius Radzkowski. These are some of the great uh, ascetic hesychists who are also great teachers. Very rare, very amazing combination of gifts. Uh, he definitely had that. Uh, he was continually teaching and yet continually uh, living the hesychastic life, and, uh, almost impossible uh, with our many distractions today, uh, something that only God can do. And so uh, he places them there. I think it's important to read that uh, before you begin. Uh, but just a few things that I want to point out from this introduction, which is very helpful. Um, he is, as, it's, as I said, enabled 
through his great gifts that God gave him to, to lead us through the three stages of Christian purification. This is what we should be conscious of, right? We're, this is what we're doing throughout our life. We're going through these stages, at least the first one. We've got to go through the first one. This is what most of our life will be spent in the first rung, right? And if God blesses, we'll reach illumination. And if it's God's will and it's, we're humble and it's beneficial for us, we may even reach in this life uh, the stage of deification, which is, um, you know, beyond uh, anything that we can imagine uh, in terms of experience of God. Uh, so he's he's guiding the people of God through that, and much of it, much of his teachings, as much of the teachings of all the contemporary elders, is focused on that first stage, purification. So so important. If we're going to be able to enter into the mysteries and walk away from our experience and our participation in the mysteries of the Eucharist and of uh, of the other mysteries of the church changed, right? That's what metania, repentance, is all about. And it means we don't go back to the old way. We put away the old habits. We put away the old ways of thinking. We don't go back to the vomit. St. John Chrysostom's famous expression, uh, don't, after you confess a sin and you, uh, you, you, you uh, f uh, repent of it, you repent and you confess, those two things together, then don't go back like a dog to the vomit, right? And if that's going to be the case, well, of course, we need the grace of God, and we need to be purified when we approach the mysteries. So much of what the teaching is about is this purification. So um, he, he has also something that many people don't talk about today, and there's an apostolic succession of spiritual fathers and mothers in each generation of the church. Many people don't know that. Many people think that apostolic succession only pertains to the hierarchy. Of course, it mainly contains, pertains to the hierarchy. Ideally, every hierarch is a great elder, a great uh, purified and illumined teacher of the faith. Unfortunately, that's not the case. It never has been the case, in the, at least since the time of the apostles, because we have heresies, and that most of the heretics that have come throughout the church are not your grandmother and grandfather uh, and the last uh, you know, unlettered Christian but it's the hierarchs. Usually it's the hierarchs who are the heretics. And so unfortunately there are, there are uh, those who've reached the stage of the hierarchy who are not at the spiritual stage they need to be. But we also have this apostolic succession in the church that passes on from charismatic elder to charismatic elder, and they, they have uh, the grace and of God that was given to the apostles they have as well, and they teach as an apostle of God. And Elder Cleopatra was one of those. He was the rare spiritual personality with the gift to guide souls as well as to instruct in the faith. Uh, and so, um, of course, his authority does not derive from academic titles. His authority does not derive from uh, him going to some theological school, although there certainly is benefit and can be benefit from going to theological schools. Uh, but from his immersion in the scriptures, the patristic tradition, and of course the hesychastic life of the monastery. Uh, and what he was instilling in so many of the Romanians of his day, and hopefully he will instill in us, is the full consciousness of our Orthodox identity and the meaning of it in our lives. So the devil and the world is struggling to keep you in the identity of the world. You are of this world, that he wants to say, and he wants to convince us, that we're of this world, we're living for the things of this world, and we identify with the things of this world. Well, if, as long as that's the case, uh, then the grace of God and the mysteries and the miracles of God uh, are going to be far from us. What we need to do is put that off and acquire the consciousness of the orthodox identity and the orthodox meaning of our life, and that's what Elder Cleopatra uh, did so effectively for the Romanian people. Um, all right, I, you can read that. That's in your both in this PDF and in your uh, readings that we, we posted on Patreon. Let's go on to some of our patristic quotes. One or two I'll read, and then you can read the rest on your own, and we'll open it up to questions in just five minutes. Uh, a little bit about what it what's going on in the church, right? What is, what is this life in the church? What does it really mean? What it's all, what's it all about? And I think this quote from St. Eustine Popovich is really wonderful. This is from uh, this book here. Any, if you don't have it, 
It's called Orthodox Faith and Life in Christ. Can you see that on the little screen down there? Uh, Orthodox Faith and Life in Christ. St. Eustine Popovich is from the uh, Institute for Byzantine and Modern Greek Studies. Uh, I think it's, uh, was, it was done by, edited by the recently reposed and wonderful presbyter Asterios Yerosterios up in Boston along with Constantine Cavranos. Uh, so this is called The Inward Mission of Our Church. This text is phenomenal. If you haven't read this, follow, you can find it online. Note this down in your little book there. The Inward Mission of Our Church, St. Eustine Popovich. Read it. Memorize it. It's one of the most beautiful texts that exists in English from the great saint. He says, Only in Christ, in Him alone, did man feel himself experience, in other words, himself to be immortal and know himself eternal. Christ God-man in his person bridged the chasm between time and eternity and restored relations between them. For this reason, only he, only he who is organically made one with Christ, the God-man, one with his body, the church, can be the one to feel himself really immortal and know himself to be in truth to be eternal. So this is what it's all about. It's about it's about living the eternal life now. So many Christians think that doing good works and being good people, quote unquote, will then earn them a place in paradise. No, this is delusion. This is not the truth. God doesn't need, and it's not on the basis of our good works, and it's not about being a good person. This is so poor. This is moralism. This is, this is religion. Brothers and sisters, it's about becoming immortal. Paradise consuming us. You heard the elder Cleopa. Being consumed by paradise in this life. Anybody who's met a saint, an elder with the grace of God, can see and understand what I'm talking about. One such great elder was Elder Ephraim of Philotheo in Arizona. In him, in his person, you understood that this man was already in eternity. He was already immortal. Because that's what God came to make us. And that happens only in the body of Christ. Does not happen in heterodox confessions. Does not happen in the religions of the world. Only in the body of Christ. Nothing less than organically, intimately, bodily, as well as spiritually becoming one with Christ. It only happens in the Eucharist. It only happens in the church. It only happens uh, when we have the presuppositions fulfilled. We have that good uneasiness, and we're in the process of purification. We're going through that. We're being purified of all the obstacles that would obstruct us. That's what's going on in the church. Now, we may not understand that or live that, but that doesn't matter. That's what's going on in the church. The question is, how do we get to the point where we experience that? That's the whole process of purification in all of its facets. Let's now read what St. Eustine has to say about the church. This is what the topic of our subject is. Now I'm going to let you read on your own the chapter by the great elder. Uh, and we can, if there's questions about that later on, we can talk about that. Uh, if you have the text in front of you, you've downloaded the readings that I sent you on page 4041. And uh, 42, we have, a, we have a long quote from Fabio Florovsky about Catholicity. Very important quote to understand what Catholicity is all about, for, especially for former Protestants who are, who are shell-shocked shocked by the uh, term Catholic, afraid of the term Catholic. Oh, my gosh, are we Catholics? No, uh, we're not those kind of... We are Catholics, but we're not Latin papal Protestants. No, we're Orthodox Catholics, right? What does it really mean? So right there, you can read the text. But look at, if you're on that page, you can see with me, everything he says is from Scripture. Just on this page, we've got about 60, 50 citations from Scripture. Everything is based in Scripture. It's an amazing, amazing presentation of orthodoxy in the English language. Uh, so here he talks about the basics of the characteristics, the four marks, the main four marks of the church. Uh, I don't think we need to do a lot of commentary on that, but... Um, it is, uh, you know, we we can we can get into it. I want to read this quote from read this quote from uh, Saint Eustine, and then we we may in the question and answer we can maybe touch on some of the things that 
the great elder uh, teaches us in the first chapter. Uh, St. Eustine says, the ever-living <clears throat> personality of the God-man Christ is precisely the church. The church is Christ, brothers and sisters. It's not an organization. It's not you and me. It's not a community of people. It's Christ himself. The church is always personality. God, man, body, and spirit. Man, I love St. Eustine. I don't know. If you haven't read St. Eustine, he is, he is the theologian of the 20th century that in, in the end times for us. He guards us against so many delusions. The definition of the church, can the church be defined? Ultimately, it cannot be defined, right? This is what I'm going to say to you. If I had time, I would tell you that the church is it's impossible to define the church because the church is Christ. Can you define Christ? You can describe him, but you can't define him. Now, I think the saint uses it here in a way to describe the church. What is the church? Her life, her purpose, her spirit, her plan, her ways, all these are given in the wondrous person of the God-man Christ, all right? So essentially he's saying it's Christ. Uh, that's what the church is. But can you define him? Can you pin him down? Is it, what, is it, is it possible to, to, to really do that? No. You approach the church in awe, and you experience the church, and you understand it by experience what the church is. The mission of the church is to make every one of her faithful organically and in person one with the person of Christ, to turn their sense of self into the sense of Christ and their self-knowledge into Christ's knowledge, for their life to become the life in Christ and for, and for Christ. In Christ and for Christ. It's very important. Everything we do, if we transform it into in Christ and for Christ, it becomes salvific. No matter what you're doing throughout the day, if it's in Christ and for Christ. In Christ means that it's in the grace of God, but it's according to God, according to his commandments, according to as he commands, right? It's in his, it's his way and it's for him. It's not when we pray, we pray to him and we do everything we do for him. Right? We commemorate him for the name and the love of Christ, what we do. Then the virtues become uh, essentially expressions of the grace and the presence of the spirit of god in us uh they become uh not just our striving but the synergy this the, the cooperation of god and man right? it's god and man working together then those virtues are salvific right we can be we can do things and call them virtues and they'll be just our effort our human effort and that means we're not doing them for christ and in christ but when we be when it transformed and what we, what we do is we're prayerful like Elder Cleopa praying while he spoke, right? Elder Frem, all these great saints, they're praying continually. Well, that transforms our actions, our life into Christ's life, Christ for Christ and in Christ. And then it's an expression of essentially God. It's an expression of the synergy of God and man. And that is salvific. That changes everything, right? So very important uh, to understand that. Otherwise, we labor in vain. He goes on, their personality to become personality in Christ and for Christ. That within them might live not only they themselves, but Christ in them. And of course, this is referring to the great phrase, not I, but Christ who lives in me by the Apostle Paul. The mission of the church is still to bring about in her members the conviction that the proper state of human personhood is composed of immortality, eternity. Not the realm of time and mortality how far this is from the poor people who've turned our churches into, into quarantined, uh, you know, disinfected uh, supermarkets. What, what does this have to do with the immortality that is the presence of God in the, in the temple? And the conviction that man is a wayfarer who is wending his way in the sway of time and mortality towards immortality and all eternity. All right. Father George goes on, says some wonderful things. I'm going to let you read that on your own. Just say one thing, and you can read this later. Three stages of the church. People talk about the church. They think the church is only from Pentecost on. Yes, it is. The birth of the church is Pentecost in this world, fully and completely. But the church exists in three stages. The celestial church, the church of the Old Testament, or the church that descended uh, 
from God, as it talks about in Revelation, or was planted on earth, according to St. Irenaeus, right? Uh, those who lived and, and worked according to the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. All right, so you have the celestial church, which is the church that happened already on the realm of in the angelic world. You have the church already there, the church uh, of the firstborn in heaven, according to the Hebrews, right? The celestial Jerusalem. Uh, or according to uh, the second epistle of Clement, that church was from above, the church which was first created, even before the sun and the moon being spiritual. She came to be revealed in the flesh of Christ. She came to be revealed in the flesh of Christ. You have the celestial church, and you have the church of the Old Testament of the righteous, the ones who follow after the first gospel, the Proto-Evangelium, which was talked about in Genesis, right? Those who anticipated and lived for Christ, the Logos, the, 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 the angel of great counsel in the Old Testament, those righteous that we commemorate before Christmas every year, right? Those are saints in the church. They're in heaven with God. They're, they're, they're saints. The, that church exists. And then you have, of course, the, with the incarnation of the eternal logos, Jesus Christ, the third and final stage uh, of the church begins this, the, from the first incarnation to the second and really all the way into eternity and is completed in, after the judgment around the throne of God as seen in the book of Revelation. Uh, this is the body of Christ. Uh, this is the Church of the uh, the New Testament and the Eucharist.